Bill Lambeer, and I'm hoping to have him as a guest on one of the shows so I can really rip his ass a new one. Uh, was a, one of the dirtiest players, man. And that Detroit team was dirty too. But, uh, you know, this fucking guy couldn't guard his own shadow. But what he do? He beat up his shadow. Welcome to Showtime with Coop. Insightful BS by some of my Laker friends and Laker teammates. But today, we don't have anyone but me. And I got a mouthful to say. My boy Ari is here. AT, how you doing? What's going on, Coop? How are you, buddy? Okay, okay, okay. Uh, let's start today's topic with we're finally going to play some basketball, I think. Uh, the league is set for July 30th to start in uh, in Florida. They're going to get everybody together, and uh, I'm kind of excited about that. I would like um, uh, to see some basketball, and I think this will be uh, very important simply for the fact of championship NBA championship basketball. I think for me, you can't go a season without having a champion. You have to have a champion. And I think, again, this is going to allow teams for those bottom, what is it, 22 teams, uh, which I think is wrong, but we'll get into that later. But once they start playing, I think you're going to have the Lakers winning another championship. And I don't even care if they have an asterisk by it. Still, championships to championships, and the Lakers are going to win it anyway because they were playing the best basketball until unfortunately all this COVID-19 hit us. Um, the one thing that you're seeing is a lot of players opting out. Uh, the latest is Avery Bradley. I think uh, opted out simply for the fact is that um, uh, his son, yes, his older son has an underlying illness, which I think is a great thing to do because again, sometimes it's not all about basketball. It's about the health and welfare and the well-being of, of family members, and in this case, his family. And you know what? A lot of people may look at that as wrong. I don't see anything wrong with it. It leaves the Lakers in a little, little hole because they have to fill that. I'm hearing J.R. Smith is a player uh, that may fill that position. But, uh, again, you know, you're going to have a lot of players, as we get closer to this opening up, opting out uh, of not playing simply because of the COVID-19. And, again, I don't blame them. Uh, but you know what? For me, and being in the NBA at one point in time, long, long time ago, it seems, I, if I didn't have any issues with my health or, or, or possibly affecting my family members or people that I love when I come home from this, I'm going to play basketball. That's what it's about. And for me, and I think my generation, and I, can, I think I can proudly say this, yes, it was about money because you want to be compensated for what you do. But it's about the love of the game. And uh, I always play for the love of the game and uh, and this is a situation to where that almost comes into play of do you really want to play for the love of game or do you want to take something home to your family and risk your life and well-being that way? So um, I'm opting to play for the love of the game. Your thoughts, Ari? Yeah, no, I'm, I, yeah, I'm curious. Like what kind of a tough situation does this put leadership for locker rooms in, right, where you, know, you want to get your whole team there and you want to be ready to go for a championship, but you also have to understand the dynamic of some guys and what they have going on at home. Wilson Chandler was on the court vision podcast, Jameer Nelson on our network. And he basically said, you know, we've gotten uh, you know, a, a, a relative that's in his eighties that, you know, he, he doesn't want to compromise that. And so he's not, you know, it, it's, it's totally family. So how do you kind of, you know, as a leader of a team coop, how do you kind of balance the, ultimate goal of a team to win a championship with understanding that some guys are going to make decisions that are not in the best interest of the team, but in the best interests of their family. 
Well, this is a totally different uh, experience. I think that a lot of us, right. and I'm glad I'm not part of the league now going through this. And again, as a leader, and let's talk about specifically LeBron. I think if you look at situations like that, you have to, you can't be a leader and be so selfish as to think team because truly this is not about team basketball. This is about the health and wealth of, uh, and well-being of your family and, uh, and again, I would be respectful. Uh, if it was happening during our, during our era, I would be respectful. Anybody that didn't want to play, I wouldn't look at that or hold that against them. Uh, you know, because it, it, it is about your health and what you bring home or do to your family. So as long as we're a healthy team and we got, you know, the most pieces and everybody want to play, you can't look down on people about this. Because again, some, uh, other people's um, uh, thoughts, Right. are not necessarily about the team and about basketball, but it's about them and their family. So the specifics of this, Coop, are there are all these games that we played at the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex at Walt Disney World in Orlando. Um, there's 22 teams, as you mentioned. They're going to start July 30th. The finals will end no later than October 13th. Um, they will start the playoffs uh, around August 17th. Conference semifinals will begin August 31st. Conference finals September 15th, and the finals will begin September 30th. Um, they will basically, uh, for the 22-team field, it'll vary by team, but most of the 22 teams will play 72 or 73 games after the eight seeding games are added to the regular season game totals. Um, so a lot of interesting things at play here, uh, Coop, in terms of the specifics of getting back to play. But, I mean, how do you, how do you think this will work? Do you think it'll work? Do you think you know coordinating the players will work? Do you think um, you know playing into August, September, and October will work? I mean, how how do you think this whole whole thing will play? And what will it be you know positive for the NBA to kind of be playing this deep? Usually, we're we're done with the finals now and out of the draft. They haven't even started the playoffs, obviously yet. Well, you know what, Ari? I, I think the first of all, we're just fortunate that they're even thinking about it now. Right. All these plans have been set, but the way that the hot spots are coming up with the COVID nineteen, this might get shut down in another week or two, depending on what's right. going on in, in in the world with that. So um, right now, I'm very excited. I think it'll have to work. The players that are going to play will come and play basketball, and I think they'll play to the best of their ability. I think it's going to be very difficult for them to play because it's almost going to be like them quarantined themselves there. They can't leave. Family members can't come and go. And you don't have that normalcy of an NBA season where you can play and then get away from the game. The game is always going to be on your mind up in your hotel room. But again, for the ones that do play, I think it'll be a switch where they turn on and just leave it on and come out and play basketball. I think it'll be competitive basketball. It is going to be so totally it's going to be almost like unreal because there will be no fans in the stands, nobody cheering you on, uh, just the personnel there. Uh, I think with the, the daily checks of being tested and having your temperature taken, that's going to all add a different element to everything. So, you know what, basketball and whoever wins, and obviously I want the Lakers to win, but whoever comes out and provided they play, whoever wins, <laughs> this is going to be a special championship because you're under very tough, difficult, trying times in our world today, especially in our sports. Uh, so it, it also adds a little mystery to it. And, you know, I'm one of the guys that kind of like a little mystery to things. And, you know, so whoever wins, I'm going to tip my hat to them, man. And I'm really hoping that it's the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it is interesting you bring that up because we've, you know, just had a, you know, last few seasons where there wasn't much mystery in terms of who's going to win. And this was setting up for a season with mystery. And even though there's obviously top heavy teams in the league, you know, there was still going to be mystery in terms of, 
you know, Milwaukee, Boston, the Lakers, Clippers, maybe those four. Perhaps Sorry, you can say that, but the, the championship's coming out west, okay? Whether it be the Lakers or the Clippers, one of those two teams are going to win it. So, yes, you can go on, and I'll indulge you in your conversation about the other teams, but go ahead. Yeah, It's been a long time since the East has caught up to the West. It's kind of crazy. It's one of those things, it's like we always talk about the leagues being cyclical or sports being cyclical, and it's like the West has been so much better than the East for so long. <laughs> so long. And it ain't going to stop. That's the, you know, the, 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 the band keeps marching on. But I think, you know what? You definitely have a good formidable foe in Milwaukee. I think they're playing extremely well. And, and as we talk about this, sorry, in, in, in all seriousness, I think the team, <laughs> this is going to be the fun part about this. It's almost like restarting the league over, all the way over again. So unlike in the past years, when you first start the league in the NBA, you got exhibition and you got players hurt or coming back and you got things going on and, and you slowly kind of like get yourself into it and you figure, okay, around Christmas time, I should be ready to go and things. No, no, no. You got to come out the blocks on fire and you got to come out hitting on all cylinders early. And the good thing about it is that, that you know, before all this hit, some of those teams like Milwaukee were on a good little roll. So it's going to be interesting to see how players can come back over that and get that chemistry and that cohesiveness that they had at that particular time of the season to get that back almost immediately. Yeah, you got a couple of games to go, but you're going to have to get it going immediately. And you know what? All right, the one thing I'm liking about it is those seven, eight, well, let's say six, seven, eight seeds, now you got something to be fired up about and possibly can make a big, it's gonna, you know, I, I see some upsets coming. And I, I think you're going to get one or two surprises on both sides in the East and the West. You're going to get them. Somebody's going to win that one's supposed to win. It's all because of how fast you get started into this uh, basketball season. What would your approach be if you were coaching a team here? Obviously we know you're, you're, you know, not just a member of the Showtime Lakers and a prominent member of the Showtime Lakers, but you've coached the WNBA level won championships at that level. And of course the big three. So what, as a coach coop, what would you what would your approach be to this and how would you meet with your team and get everybody ready in Orlando? There'll be a two uh, prong thing for me. All right. The first thing is my defense. You, I would have us playing very good, solid defense. I'm not worried about scoring. I'm not, it's about our defense because it's, I think your scoring is going to, is going to come eventually. I mean, players right. going to miss shots, hit shots, but if your defense is solid, so when you're missing shots on that offensive end, you're not coming down, giving up easy points on the other end. That's the first thing, defense. And that goes with uh, denial, uh, taking the ball out of certain players' hands, uh, who are we going to double, triple team, getting our rotations right, who we're going to give up shots to. And last but not least, to finish off your defense, is going to be rebounding the basketball. You're going to have to man up, box out, or if you don't want to box out, go get the basketball. I think that's first and foremost. The second and most important thing, and people have a tendency to forget about this, it's not about team play. It's not about, well, not necessarily about team play or about uh, uh, offense or defense. It's about your chemistry. Whichever team gels the, the quickest, the fastest, who's playing well together? Are we not being selfish? Are we moving the basketball? Are we thinking about team? Are we setting picks? Are we uh, getting through picks? All that little part of the game works well at both ends of the floor. Uh, and I think the team that's playing good, solid defense, or sometimes it's chemistry that's coming. Whichever team has that chemistry gel going first, that's the team I think is going to be successful to get out and get ahead of everybody. You think the same components that went into the success that you guys had when you won titles are the same components that go into success and in winning titles in today's game? I think that's in any championship team. Those, those attributes you have to have, chemistry, defense, camaraderie, 
uh, in the locker room, uh, cohesiveness, uh, listening to the coach is important. Uh, the people that are on the bench not whining about anything, but it's about the team. Uh, it's not about I, it's about we. I think all of those attributes you have right there go into championship teams. And the team that gets it the fastest, especially now, because you got a really shortened right. season, and you can say 73 games, but no, this is going to be what, 15, 30, 25 right. games or something right. like that, is going to, uh, that's the team that's probably going to have the best chance of winning this. And you know what, so, Ari, that takes us into our second thing that I want to talk about is this load management shit. You know what? <laughs> I hate that word, load management. I hate that. I hate that. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Sports are slowly making its way back with the UFC, NASCAR, and soccer leading the way. Bet Online has all the best onlines for the upcoming matches this weekend. Need more? Bet Online has simulated NFL. NBA and UFC happening every day live for you to check out. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and all the best props in the business. Visit betonline.ag or use your mobile device and join now to receive your new welcome bonus and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sporting book expert. You know what? I hate that word, load management. I hate that. I hate that. Uh, but it is the reality of the NBA today. And I think uh, Coach Popovich in San Antonio is actually the one that started that by resting players when you don't need to be rested. Yep. Uh, I think it's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. Uh, I think in today's game, uh, this, that, the NBA is always changing and evolving into something different. And I think Popovich took advantage of that. But to me, I think when you, as a coach, think of load management, you also have to take into consideration not just your team and your individual players. You have to think about the fans. And the only reason this won't come into play now because there won't be any fans there. So now you think load management, okay, let me rest this guy. But no, you have to give the fans their due because they're filling up their arenas. They have particular players they want to come see. Uh, Take, for instance, you know, you have um, LeBron James. You want to see LeBron, but coach is like, you know what? He's played two games in a row. I'm going to hold him out the next game. No, that's unfair. So me as a season ticket holder, whether I'm at home or away, and it's really, really hard, especially when a player of LeBron's caliber and any of these top-notch uh, NBA players uh, go to a, another city. And, you know, if I'm on the East, I'm only seeing this guy once, live. Uh, you know, as opposed to seeing him on TV. I want to see LeBron James. I got his jersey. I'm wearing his jersey. And now all of a sudden you're telling me that he can't play. Why? Because he's fatigued. I'm fatigued getting up going to work every damn day. I got to get to work. I got to feed my kids. And you know what? Uh, LeBron's coming to town. I want to see him play. So load management hurts that aspect of the game. And if they don't be careful, and I'm talking about they being coaches, don't be careful about this. You're going to hurt season tickets all around because you know what? You're going to be asked. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put this by any fan. Hey, listen, before I buy my season tickets, I want to know if LeBron going to come. I'm, I'm in Boston, Atlanta. I want to know, is this the game? I'm going to look at the schedule and I'm going to stop buying season tickets. I'm going to start buying my tick, my, my tickets by individual games. So if I'm looking at the Lakers schedule and they played two games before and they're coming and they got a back-to-back game on me and I'm in Atlanta and I'm a fan, well, I'm not paying for that game because I know LeBron is a 50-50 chance he may not play. I ain't come to see them other stiffs, them other scrubs, and also the Lakers teams win championships, not individual. But I'm a LeBron fan. 
And I'm back east, I want to see him. So they really, really have to be careful with this load management. And sometimes it works, but you know what? You have to be more courteous and uh, more respectful of, of the fans that drive this league. Yeah, it's such an interesting dynamic. I think, you know, I'm curious too, like, because, so you mentioned season ticket holders, and I agree, right? Like, there's only some opportunities you have to see certain players, and if those players are going to play in those games, that's that's a missed opportunity for the league and for those fans. But I also, like, I, I also wonder how much fans like the approach and are okay with it, knowing that, hey, this is just something that's we're trying to do. It's like a lose the battle to win the war kind of thing. And that's, I mean... I've always looked at it from that perspective for myself because the idea here is you don't want to overextend these players because back when you played, Coop, everybody was not even playing field because you guys all played all these minutes. And same with when you look at the Jordan era. I mean, minutes were just crazy. I think there was like you know, 30 guys in the league, 40 guys in the league that exceeded, you know, what was it, 33,000 minutes uh, per season. Now you, you rarely have those. So it's like if you don't rest your guys enough – you're on an unequal playing field because because nobody's playing those that, that that many minutes. Whereas when you when you guys were playing, everybody played all those minutes, so it wasn't like you were at a disadvantage by overextending yourself. Okay, so if you're a coach and you're fielding a team in today's game, you ain't going out and getting five or six players. You got that's what we did. The depth in the '80s when we played, we went eight, nine, ten players unless someone was injured, is where that kind of cut into your rotation. But you had players that can play. You know, I love the fact that Magic was playing a lot of minutes because I figured, okay, there's a couple of back-to-back games that I'm going to average with more minutes than him. So I think, again, coaches have to look at it from that perspective, okay? You can't go out and try to get the best seven players, 82-game schedule, and you want to play them 40-plus minutes a night, and you want KD to average about 38 a night on every single night. So you got to do a better job of, of of, of your recruiting, of your looking at players, scouting players, and getting those players that can come in and fit a certain role. Because, again, in the NBA, and, again, this is one thing that I really loved about Pat Riley, is he mastered, I'm going to call it load management, but minute management for team players. Okay? If he saw that this was a game where if, if we got up on a team and we went up by 20, he'd take Magic out of the game. Okay, even though Magic didn't want to come out because great players want to stay on the floor. No, he'd take him out and give him. That's how you manage minutes right there for your player, okay? If the game, if the for some reason Coop got out there with hitting missing shots and throwing the ball away, I'm coming to sit my ass back down. And I think that's how you uh help players and give them incentive to want to play well and want to play all the time. And I think that's what's missing a little bit. But I understand what you're saying too, Ari, is that these guys and these guys play a lot of minutes. A lot of minutes, but these guys have more of a benefit of the comforts of travel. When we played, Magic played 45. Uh, there were games where I played 38 minutes and my body's hurting the next day. We had to go to the room. First of all, you had to do your interviews, fight the crowd, get on the bus, go back to the hotel, try to get something to eat, try to get something, try to get a little bit of sleep because we had a 6 a.m. bus in the morning to catch a 7.20 flight to the next city, whether it be all the way across east or two hours away. These guys now play their game, yep. do their interviews, get on the bus, go straight to the tarmac, get on a plane that has food on there for them, hot food, good food, nice vegetable and fresh stuff like that. They fly to wherever they are. It doesn't matter whether they fly east coast to west or west coast to east or midwest. They're in the next city that they have to play in by, let's say, at the latest 3 in the morning. 
you don't have a game until 7.30 that night, 7 o'clock that night, 8 o'clock that night. So you got all day, because by the time you get to your room, you've already eaten, so you don't have to look for food. You don't have to carry your luggage off the plane because they got people to do that. All you got to do, and you don't have to wait in the lobby to get your key. The trainer has your key. When you land, they're on the bus. They give you your key. So when you get to the hotel on the bus, you go straight to your room. Your stuff is brought there. At the latest, you're, you're asleep by 6 a.m. So you sleep from 6 to 12 o'clock, and then you got to get up and get prepared for the game because, again, most of the time you don't have shoot-around. So these guys got it easy. And you know what? I'm not crying about it because we did what we had to do. But I think for the players, and, again, all this is in respect to the fans that pay to make those players great. That, to me, is the most important thing that you got to – you know, I want to see LeBron. I want to see KD. I want to see those guys when they come to my city. And it, it, like I said, they're on the East. I'm only seeing them once. So when they come, you think I Magic felt that play. way too. You think like, you Magic felt that way too when you guys played? Like if if let's say Magic played in today's era, do you think he'd get ticked off about that idea of load management and sitting out games for that reason? I would think so. I think, and I'm not saying today's players don't have that personal pride because they all do. I just think they're caught up into the norms of today's game, the way it's being handled. Uh, but we wanted to play, man. We wanted to play all the time, every time. It didn't matter. And again, when you want to come out of the game, is when you were getting blown out and getting your ass whooped. That's when you wanted to get out of the game. But uh, most of the time, we wanted to play. And, and you know what? I'm not saying that today's players don't want to play. But I think the way that things are being handled for them, it brings them, it makes them more susceptible to act that way. Uh, so, I mean, you know. Uh, and again, these guys take great care of their body. They make tons of money. They can have personal trainers. They have guys rub them down. Some players I heard even have their own personal trainers on the road with them, and you're getting your rub downs. And you, you know, so to me, again, and I'm not again. I love today's game. I'm just not real happy with today's game. So, give me a sense of what, like, the idea with the load management is more about fans' expectations. Is that what you're saying? You know, you don't like the idea of... No, I think it's the load management is for coaches to rest their players to get them through the whole season. That, to me, is what it's about. So they're not thinking of the fans. They're thinking about the players. And to me, I think the coaches should think about the players, I mean, the fans, more because, again, people only get to see a certain amount of players all year, all year, you know, once or twice, and in some cases, three times. But, you, you know, you got to think of the fans. But the coaches are thinking about maintaining my players at a high level all season long. And that's what your bench is for. You know, your high players, how you do load management, don't take it out on the game. Give them a day off in practice when nobody's there. Uh, instead of coming to shoot around, like Wilt used to say, he used to say Bill Sharman. He would t- <laughs> tell Bill Sharman, Bill, I'm only giving it to you one time. You wanted to shoot around or you wanted it at the game? <laughs> and Bill, I mean, Bill Sharman, Coach Sharman took it at the game. I wanted at the game, man. So he lets uh, Will start skipping shoot-around. Well, shoot-arounds are important, and I understand that from a coach's standpoint, but you can't hurt the fans by that, okay? Give the guy – don't let him come and shoot around. Give him a, a, that practice off. But if he can play in the game and he's a little fatigued because that guy that paid that – that uh, that brought his whole family of, of two kids and his wife, I done spent about maybe $600 for the tickets alone – and I'm buying all these number one fingers, and my son wants the KD jersey and all of that. And now they're coming to the game, and there's no KD. Why is he in playing? Oh, coach is holding him out because he's tired. He's played too many games. No, man, no, you gotta play. That's what. That's why you play the game 
tired or not, you play. Remember when we were in high school? And I'm talking to the other NBA players now. Remember when we were in high school and you were trying to get to the NBA? You played as long as you could. You went to the park. You played for your rec team, your church team. You went out and shot basketball by yourself. You took a friend and you shot. You just played basketball. Now you get paid to play. Come on and play basketball. Okay, if I'm tired, I'm going to give it all I got. And if I don't, I tell the coach, take me out. Cooper's behind me. He'll give us some quality minutes. And let's go play basketball, man. But to just take a player out of the game because he's fatigued. That's hurting the fans who wants to see that kid. You know, that seven-year-old kid that idolizes that guy. And he's not playing because he's fatigued. Daddy, I get tired of going to school in the morning. Can I sleep a little extra? <laughs> <laughs> what, what other things do you notice about the game today that you think are different, that you don't like, that you like? What, what, I mean, what's, what are some of the things, that, like, when you watch the game today that stand out to you? Well, I think the one thing, and Norm Nixon always talks about this, is that the European players, when they first influxed the NBA in the early 80s and, and back then, is that we they were supposed to the NBA was supposed to influx the European. What has happened is that they've come and they influenced our game more. Yes. And now you have uh, the Europeans are the first one, and we had the three-point line, but that was something big in Europe. So big players, Lali Divac was the first. You had a lot of Dino Raja was another one, and players that they start coming in nowadays uh, were taught to uh, shoot that three ball, 13, 14 years old. So as they got taller, and bigger, and they're seven one, seven two. That's something they had been doing all their life. So now, when they're playing the pro game, they shoot the three. Championships to me are one in the paint, and I think that's where the international game has influenced our game so much. To where now, when I'm, I kind of hate, not hate watching it. It bothers me to watch basketball because now, when a player, when we play, used to run for layups. Used to run to get a layup, and if you didn't get a layup, you kick it out, and then that guy trailing would get that three. Now. now they, they run, run to the three ball. <laughs> a layup is, oh, no, I don't want that. That's too easy. I want to take this shot. And I, I think to me that that's the most damaging thing that has had that's happened to the NBA uh, in the last 20, 25 years. The fact is that that three ball is becoming more important than playing the game the way it's supposed to be played. Three so ball you, is an afterthought shot. You mentioned, you know, the game is played inside out, the pain inside out. What, what do you mean by that? When we played, you threw the ball into your center or you drove hard to the basket to get the traditional and one three-point play. You go to the basket, you're in the paint, you're shooting a layup or a little six-foot shot. Somebody fouls you and you the ball goes in. Okay, I got fouled. Now I go to the free throw line. Now they want that three-shot easy on the first shot. And uh, for me, that's what the game is being played inside out. Throw the ball into your post, your center people, Kareem, Bill Lantbeer, uh, Back. All the great NBA, Bill Russell, they don't necessarily have to shoot it, but what you do is you shrink the defense because Kareem's unguardable down there. Shaquille O'Neal is unguardable down there. You throw the ball in them. One man isn't going to guard them when they're four feet from the basket. Shaq is just probably one of the most powerful players other than Wilt Chamberlain to play this game. You yeah. had to double. You had to triple team that guy. Once you got that triple team on him, now all Shaq has to do is make the appropriate pass or get the ball back out, inside, out, Either it's a shot, pass, pass, shot to that person on the other side that's wide open. That, to me, is what wins championships. And today, they're just taking that away now. It's outside, outside, maybe a little bit of in, maybe a little mid-range floater. And I think that's what has killed the game because now you have more outside shots. And that is the reason why 
NBA field goal percentages are so low now, uh, in a low, in the two point are low. Uh, three point is low, but it's going up. But again, as people shoot that shot more, the field goal percentage is going to go up. So for me, it's inside out, and that helps your overall field goal percentage. Right, because I mean, it's obviously the closer you are to the basket, the likelier you are to make the shot. Um, it, it is a completely different game, whereas it used to be inside out. And I mean, even I. You know, grew up in the 90s in an era where you, I mean, every possession, you have to dump the ball down low and see what you have and then, you know, work it around through that. And now it's the opposite. It's, it's outside hey, in. Did you see, uh, the late great coaches, Dean Smith, John Wooden. Could you see them trying to coach today's game? It would be impossible for, I could see John Coach Wooden. You know, he used to hold that ball up, piece of paper, and he he'd probably would end up stuffing that down his mouth because he'd be like, oh, you crazy. I have to have two of them or something. But you know, today's game, coaches. Right. I think the 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 modern day fundamentally sound coaches would have a hard time with today's player. But that's the luxury and the love you have of this game of basketball. How it evolves and it grows and it's getting bigger and better. And you know what? I hate to think of what it's going to be like. I have a fifteen year old son, and in fifteen twenty years, what the what will this game look like? Uh, back then, I mean, at that point in time. But uh, that's the fun part about it. And you know what? Can't play like I used to, but I still enjoy it. I don't like watching it, but I still enjoy this game of basketball. I, I am really intrigued, though, the idea of, like, the game was won in the paint and now it's not. And and is that, you know, because the game is less physical now, and I think part of it was they wanted to make the game less physical, so you got rid of hand-checking, right? They did different things to to make the game less physical so that they didn't have – Bill Lambeer knocking out Michael Jordan basketball. in the playoffs. Henceforth, international basketball, because that's how they play over there. But go ahead. Right. No, no, no. And, I mean, they, they didn't want Bill Lambeer knocking Michael Jordan out of the playoffs, right? They, they wanted to have their stars available so that the bad boy Pistons weren't, you know, weren't knocking these guys out of the playoffs before they can get there. So that was, that was the big thing, right, to protect their stars. They didn't want their you stars to go down. That guy that goes to work at the uh, automotive factory – uh, the guy that goes to work at the uh, uh, Budweiser beer distributing place that goes there, and he he's fussing and fighting all day and dealing with people. And then he comes home, and uh, he has to compose himself, and he comes home and grabs him a beer. You want to see somebody get knocked around, so you don't have to do it. I want to watch somebody else do it, so I don't have to hit somebody, hit my friend or my boss and get fired from my job. I want to see a little physicality in the game that I love. Uh, but you know what? Yes, they did that for the reason of trying to not knock the stars out, but to curtail it. Because when we played, there was almost a fight. Well, actually, you know, depending on how many games were the NBA games that night, you almost had a fight a game, which was slowing the game down. When we played NBA games for about two hours and 20, 30 minutes because of technicals and, and all of that. Now what they want to do is, you know, speed that time up and speed the game up. And now you go to the NBA game, it might be, what, 205, 210 or something like that. Right. So, But they did have to protect because, again, you were getting some crazies. And Bill Lambeer, and I'm hoping to have him as a guest on one of the shows so I can really rip his ass a new one, uh, was a, one of the dirtiest players, man. And that Detroit team was dirty, too. But, uh, you know, this fucking guy couldn't guard his own shadow. But what he do? he beat up his shadow, you know. So he <laughs> it was one of those. And that's what they were trying to stop. Because I think when they came up with that Jordan rules, and again, if you watched the, uh, the Last Dance, I'm pretty sure that was very evident in that. I have yet to watch that, but I'm going to, uh, to show what, what teams were like back then because it was about winning. And, you know, at all costs of winning because winning is fun. Winning is, is, it can, be, can become contagious. And whatever it took for you to win, and 
the bad kids, I don't call them bad boys, the bad kids did it the best. Do you think, though, that there is, like, because of the way the game is now, that your, your teams don't have guys like Lambeer, they don't have Dennis Rodmans, they don't, you know, they don't have the, the Mitch Kupchaks, right? Like, they don't have the guys that are the enforcers anymore, the Kurt Rambuses. I mean, do, do you think that... You can't have those players now because the way that the rules are set up and they got this flagrant one, flagrant two, flagrant three, you got to only play on right. two fouls. You know, after two flagrant ones, you can kick out of the game, man. So you can't. <laughs> can't have those players now. And I miss those guys. I miss Kurt Rambus. I miss Mitch Kupchak. I miss uh, uh, James Edwards, who was Phoenix, with Phoenix and then came to the bad kids and got with part of that group up there. I miss <laughs> little soft-ass John Sally, who thought he was hard as a rock, but he was just soft <laughs> as a Twixie, a Twixie, one of them things that had canyons, <laughs> the Twixie straw things where you drink the things and then you take the straw and break it in half. That was John Sally, who thought he was a tough boy. Twixie sticks. Know? kind of guys uh, i miss those guys man uh, those were uh solid basketball players they were part of the t- i even missed myself i thought i was a tough guy but i got my ass broken in half too by some of these guys so you know you you miss us but again the way that they have changed the game and the way they have changed filing you know it makes it difficult to have a, a a true enforcer on your team now because if you did have one and and uh, you know the latest the last one i think <laughs> he's gone since then was kendrick perkins right you know? KC had him. Boston had him. He could never get on the floor and stay out there long because any foul he did, they had to look at the film, look at the thing. Oh, it was a flagrant two. He's kicked out of the game, and he disrupts your team flow. So those type of players are dinosaurs stuck in the tar. And out here they call it La Brea Tar Pit, where you go look at the animals, the woolly mammoths that are stuck, that got stuck in the tar. Those, those, are, ain't, those are gone now. They don't have those. So now you're looking at more finesse, three-point shooting teams. And I'm going to say this to you, A.T., I never thought an NBA team, and I probably have said this before on the show, I never thought an NBA team could win a a championship shooting jump shots until I saw the Golden State Warriors and those kids. And you know what? We're going to get Clay Thompson on the show so he can really tell us how it was. But to see uh, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and then they added Kevin Durant, but you had Draymond Green, you had uh, all them guys were firing up threes, and, and they Andre literally Vidala. won a championship by shooting three-point shots. They took full advantage. But you know what? Those type of teams are far and few and very, very rare. Uh, but when you get one, man, it was very beautiful and pretty to watch those guys play. Now, speaking <laughs> of teams and things like that, I want to – I'm coming with my five – I got five things I want to say about teams, okay? Okay, nice. I'm going to start this one with my five favorite Laker teammates. And I'm going to go okay, with that. So it's not gonna... necessarily in this order, but these are the order of my five favorite Laker teammates. Starting off easy here. Uh, I like it. Uh, my first one would have to be Magic. And Magic, the reason why I say him, and he's probably number one, uh, because Magic and I, I came on the team in 79. He came in 1980, and we kind of, like, bonded as rookies together. We kind of, like, stuck together. So he was always fun to be around. Magic made basketball enjoyable again and again. As I say, Magic, I have to put in Larry Bird because they brought that passing team concept back to the NBA in the 80s, and that's why I think our team, as well as the Celtics, were, you know, a couple of both teams that won a lot of championships that people kind of identified because of the way that they made the game. So as a teammate, Magic was fun to be around. My next one would be, and, and I'm going to name more than five because I got some people at, at two and stuff like that, but my 
one of my favorite guys that I really enjoyed being a teammate of, uh, and this is on and off the court. This is on and off the court, but mainly on the court because I was they, they were more like my family than my wife and kids were because we spent so much time together. Is James Worthy. James was fun because James knew how to, to uh, uh, have a laugh at a crucial time at practice. You know, Pat Riley would be going over something, and James would be, would be standing on the sideline watching, and James might whisper in your ear, hey, Coop, such, such, such. What's <laughs> you up laughing or something totally not even you weren't even thinking about. Worthy was like that, man. It's the perfect comment, the perfect time. Very comical, but in a real <laughs> uh, calm, cautious way. He never was disrespectful to the coaches, but it, that's when he was his funniest. Is when they, because you know, Pat Riley, okay, this is how we're gonna handle Moses Malone. Coop, you got to come down and double. And I'm standing there, and Worthy standing next to me, and he whispered in my ear, "Coop, da 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 da, da you know, <laughs> he break you up." And Pat Riley would go, uh, "Got to share the joke with us." No, 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 coach, we're listening, we're listening, so we get in trouble. But James Worthy, my other. <laughs> Uh, my next two are two have to come together, and they are A.C. Green and Byron Scott. And I say those two because <laughs> Byron was a clown, too, as far as always jokester and having fun and enjoying uh, basketball. And then him and A.C. Green clicked together for some reason. They kind of, like, went together, uh, A.C. being more on the religious front and not doing anything. Always used to tell us, uh, you know, uh, Coop, the devil is in the details now. You got to. Be careful. And he, he would always come with that religious aspect and scare you a little bit, you know. Uh, but they, they were great teammates. Loved them in the locker room. AC was kind of fun and had his own jokish way. Byron was a lot of fun. And he had a lot of things to say. And again, Byron and I pretty much from the same background being here from Southern California. So we kind of knew each other. And then uh, my other good teammate that I really, really enjoyed, but he was just the weirdest fuck you could ever be around. Uh, Kurt Rambis. I enjoyed Kurt Rambis, man, because Kurt, Kurt was like the type of team we had, and I'm not talking about a racial thing, but just the type of makeup of athletes and real solid players and fundamental. Kurt was totally off the left side with that one, man. Kurt came, uh, <laughs> you know, you would think he was a, a beach guy. Kurt wasn't like that. Kurt was just like Kurt, he wasn't a beach bum, but Kurt was like just the bum, uh, you know, but just the guy that was so normal, man. Kurt was so normal, uh, very smart. And that's the one thing that surprised me when you started talking to him is how smart Kurt was in, in worldly things that you wouldn't even think he was smart about. Uh, Kurt was a good guy, man, and one of the hardest workers. And that's why I loved him. Hard worker in practice, wasn't afraid of nobody, wasn't afraid of anything. Uh, like we'd be in the huddle, get ready to compete against the starters. This is before he became a starter. And Kurt goes, hey, guys, let's kick their ass. <laughs> but it was like, <laughs> you didn't expect that from him. It was like, oh, yeah, Kurt, hey, let's go. Kurt said it. We got to get it done, y'all. So it was a fun. But Kurt was there. But you know what? I'm going to just put some honorable mentions in there. Uh, Bob McAdoo was a favorite, especially when we got him. Uh, Jim Jones uh, out of Marquette came from Cleveland Cavaliers, came to us. Jim was real, real knowledgeable. Jim was on a whole nother level. Uh, Larry Spriggs and Mike McGee were two of my other favorite teammates that I had uh, played there. And then last but not least, Norm Nixon, he was. But my top five of those, and it's kind of hard to put them in a number because they were all fun to play with. So you have Magic, AC, Byron Scott, Kurt Rambis, Norm Nixon. Worthy. James Worthy. Yeah. 
Six. And what about, like I said, you what go about Kareem? And you can go in there. So I get what about, what about Kareem? <laughs> Kareem? Kareem was a good teammate, but Kareem was all Kareem's on a whole nother atmosphere. He wasn't right. on a level. Kareem was on a whole right. nother atmosphere. And Kareem had a lot of other stuff going. And I mean, he, he enjoyed us and we enjoyed him when he was around us. But when practice over Kareem was there, where's Cap? Oh, he, he you didn't see him go out the door. <laughs> didn't see the back of him. All you saw was the bottom of his foot. <laughs> you, you know how you see somebody's foot walking out? That's what you saw at Cap. But Cap was Cap was enjoyable. I, I enjoyed Kareem too. So those are my five best teammates. I'm gonna go to the next column. It's gonna be my five worst teammates. Mm. And I always say this in the simply fact of the people I'm about to name were good people. I mean, good guys, off the court, good guys, but on the team, five worst teammates, man, because they're all selfish and stuff. I'm going to start with this one here, a guy named uh, Joe Cooper. Joe Cooper was 6'10", and I forget where he came from, but he came. He was with, with the Lakers at 80, 82, 83, and Joe was the most selfish motherfucker, man. This guy was just selfish and didn't care about anybody else. Just selfish, man. Just selfish. Anytime you threw the ball into him, we had plays where you had, we throw it in, the defense would collapse, and you're supposed to kick it back out. Joe wouldn't throw it out. He pump fake it. I said, Joe, the defense ain't going nowhere. That's the drill. You're supposed to throw it out. Selfish, selfish, selfish fuck, man. Joe, Joe Cooper. The next guy is a play-by-play announcer at Utah now, Ron Boone. And Ron Boone, man, <laughs> my guy with the Lakers, Ron a great, great guy, great guy. But Ron, when I got with the Lakers, was at the end of his career. And Ron was about staying with the Lakers because he saw the, the change coming. And uh, Ron, eventually, I kind of beat him out because he saw these youthful guys, myself, Ron Carter, he come in and he kind of saw it. So Ron eventually got traded to Utah Jazz. And uh, the, the reason, I, this is why I say he's a bad teammate <laughs> because the first time he got traded and we played uh, Utah, my rookie year, we're up there playing, and I remember taking the basketball out, and Ron was guarding, I think he was guarding Norm, but he had, had switched off on me. I, he, I threw the ball, Norm threw the ball to me, inbounding. I threw it back to Norm, and I'm running down the court. You know, I'm not thinking anything, running down the court. Ron Boone hit me so hard in the chest with a forearm. Boom! Welcome to the NBA, motherfucker. <laughs> It took my breath away, and it was so smooth the way he did it because the referee didn't even see him. That, you know it, you know how you just kept, you might do this to somebody or you check him and stuff. Ron hit me in the chest so hard that it just took my breath away. And as I was going down, he said, welcome to the NBA, MF. <laughs> and uh, uh, I hated Ron Boone for that, but I also loved him because that made me wake up, man. This is the NBA, man. You can't just be running around like you don't know nothing on the floor. But Ron Boone was a teammate. He was one of my worst teammates. I hated him. Lou Hudson, the late, great Lou Hudson, played for the Atlanta Hawks, has passed away. And I only say this because Lou was probably the most selfish offensive player. Anytime we would run plays, and Lou was on the team that year, and we would run a play. Every time they touched it, Lou would shoot it. He would shoot it. And I go, Lou, you want to pass? He go, why? What if you miss? I can miss. I'm making most of my <laughs> uh, irrational confidence guy. Who hasn't even played no defense, all <laughs> offense, and he was one of the famous persons that I always say my offense is my defense. 
Lou Hudson was a great one. Uh, last person, well, the fourth person, because I like this guy and ended up coaching with him in a Denver Nuggets, Adrian Dantley. And Adrian, coming from Notre Dame, was always a star. And Adrian always thought that. And the reason why Adrian was a bad teammate, because I got him as a rookie. And as a rookie, you had to do rookie things. This guy would have me come get his laundry and his dirty stuff, and then I would have to deliver it at 4 a.m. in the morning. He ain't even up at that time. What are you talking about? You want this stuff? Oh, and don't put it on the door. You got to hang it on the doorknob. So if it was on the door, at the door, bottom of the door, you had to get it again. I used to hate Adrian Dantley so bad for that, but those were the woes of a rookie going through that. So Adrian Dantley was a bad teammate. And last but not least, my most favorite one, and I like this guy to death, but he was almost in the Lou Hudson realm. And you probably won't even remember this guy. This guy named Billy Ray Bates from Kentucky State. Ended up being a big-time player for Portland Trailblazers for a while. Billy was about 6'5", strong as an ox, man. This guy used to, he used to tell us about his growing up days. And he would say, you know what, Coop? I didn't have any shoes until I was 16. I said, what, what are you talking about? He goes, no, I, I mean, I had one pair of shoes. So when I run out and play and stuff like that, I didn't want to mess them up. So I ran around barefooted all my life. I said, well, Billy, what about glass and stuff? Oh, man, that didn't bother me. <laughs> this guy stepping on glass, thorns, uh, bottle caps, uh, tire rims, Billy Ray Bates. But you know what? <laughs> one of the toughest, and look him up. One of the toughest players that you ever could play against, Billy Ray Bates. Strong, too. Real strong hands. I remember his hands very strong, but this guy ran around barefooted. So those are my five <laughs> five worst teammates that I've had to play with. So there you have it. Another episode of Showtime with Coop. And as we always say, or I'm going to always tell you, continue to take it to the hoop. <laughs>